0: to the Road of to the Top podcast. I'm your host, Will Grant. and on today's episode, I have Dr. Tim Holcomb, professor and chair of the Department of Entrepreneurship at Miami University's Farmer School of Business. On today's episode, I talked to Tim about his successful entrepreneurship career path and all the great work that he's doing now as a professor in academia at the Miami University Farmer School of Business, as well as a venture investor for even past guests of the podcast. Tim shares a lot of great advice, so without further delay, let's get to the show. Tim, thank you for taking the time to come out of the Road to the Top podcast. I've been looking forward to our conversation for a really long time, and as I mentioned beforehand, I'm a big admirer of your work, so officially welcome to the podcast.
1: Well, thank you, Will. As I was sharing with you before we went live, I'm a, an admirer of your work and and your effort to to help us catalyze and tap into the uh, the what is an extraordinarily amazing successful group of alumni that have made their way one time or another through, uh, through Oxford, Ohio, uh, as graduates of Miami University.
0: Yeah. And I'm really excited to talk about that. And first, I mean, just wanted to, to touch on your kind of professional journey. So I understand that you graduated from the University of Louisiana Monroe for undergrad and graduate school was curious on what career path did you want to pursue after graduation? And an interesting fact that I learned was that you were on the track and field, team. So I have to know what your kind of discipline was.
1: Yeah, it. I. I, I my family was uh, humble means. My dad was um, a Baptist minister, and uh, I remember having a conversation with him one day about wanting to go to college. He said, that's awesome. How are you going to pay for it? Uh, and so it started me down the path of uh, figuring out how I would uh, – utilized whatever talents I had uh, to uh, to help fund uh, my education. It just so happened that track and field is one of those. And so got a, a scholarship uh, offer to uh, run track at what was then Northeast Louisiana University. And actually one of my first mentors, uh, uh, Coach Bob Grossclose, who at the time was in his mid-70s, uh, extraordinarily successful back coach uh, through the years, had a number of Olympians. Um, became a very good friend of mine in in uh, his passing in the early two, early 2000s and it hit me hard but he was one of the first guys that I can really say hey he was he was a strong mentor for me but it got me started um, I, I it's funny you ask question my my career aspirations uh, I actually started out in computer science and and this is back in the day when you had cards and uh, you'd have to you'd have to um, compile the cards, and the first time I dropped my set of cards and had to figure out what order they went in, that's when I said, okay, this computer science thing is probably not for me, and I I uh, transferred into the accounting program, and that's what I got my undergraduate degree in. I had fully expected to go into public accounting until I did my internship, and back before we had Excel or Lotus or any of the computer tools we have today, we used to use these big, deep, yellow tablets to uh, foot check. In the uh, audit and when i did that as part of my internship i I said oh no i don't want to don't want to do this for the rest of my life and and uh, i had a year of eligibility left will and that's when i decided to go back and work on my mba and that's where i was introduced to consulting Uh, at the time the the small business development center for the state of louisiana happened to be in monroe uh, where um um university louisiana monroe today is located and i started doing work with small businesses that said, hey, I like this. Um, this was the mid-80s. Uh, there weren't mega uh, consulting organizations like we have today, you know, the McKinsey's or the Bain's or the BCG's. Really, the the entry point, if you really wanted to get into uh, consulting, uh, at least management consulting, there was really one option, and that was the Management Information Consulting Division of Arthur Anderson. Unfortunately, Arthur Anderson didn't interview in Monroe. So, um, in a in a bit of perseverance, I guess for lack of a better term, I I applied nine times with a written letter and a, a resume and got nine rejections. The tenth time um, I applied, this is story by the way. They um, uh, Rick Johnson, who was the HR director at the time, still a friend of mine, said, "Hey, we don't we don't we don't interview at NLU. We don't." Hire anybody from NLU. He said, "I can't afford. I can't pay for your recruiting trip. But if you want to drive over to Dallas and interview, I'll set up some interviews." And that's how my career at, at uh, then Arthur Anderson Day at Accenture began. I, that's how I got my start. I spent 13 years at Accenture. Um, it was a tremendous experience. Um, my learning opportunities accelerated as you would typically expect in. In a consulting mode, um, I spent most of my latter years um, as a in consumer goods. Uh, Nike and PepsiCo were uh, two clients that I had responsibility for at the time. Uh, we were doing the quite um design for Nike when they launched the apparel uh, program y- using the Tiger Woods line. This is back when Tiger was coming out of Stanford, um, and I, it was wonderful. Um, I set a couple of goals for myself when I came out of college. One was to make partner at, uh, a big six. back when there were six of these. Um, and once I did that, I'd set the box and decide to leave. And I left in 1999 and uh I wasn't smart enough to start one company. I started four at one time. My second goal was to be an entrepreneur. And to be honest, well, I didn't know what that meant at the time. And uh so I started a, uh, a set of companies designed around uh what at the time was this massive build out for 3d uh those of us who are my age remember the day when a phone could do one thing or a cell phone could do one thing make a call of course today you can w- watch full motion video and tweet and do all kinds of stuff on their on your uh, cell phone didn't do that back in the, in the late 90s the infrastructure to support that wasn't there so um, co-founder and I took the design build run methodology out of, uh, what at the time with Anderson Consulting and dropped it in. Uh, we went, uh, we, we went into a born global mode. We took our business plan in eight months, raised 11 million with, by closing a deal. What in effect today we refer to as a series A. We just skipped all the seed plus seed stuff, went straight to a, a series A with, uh, Bear Stearns, with some other Goldman Sachs and some other participants in the round as well and um in over an 18 month period we went from a an idea to 300 employees working on 44 client engagements in 15 countries uh, with about a 35 million dollar annual run rate and then as uh, i like to tell founders all the time the market gets a vote doesn't matter how good your idea is at some point the market's going to say um things have changed and again, for those that may recall, uh, the early 2000s, the dot-com bubble burst. And so my uh, partner and I, we were looking to do an- another raise, what would effectively been a Series B. The, all the valuations had kind of dropped off the cliff. Um, the the model for diluted investments really wasn't mature enough back in the early 2000s. So we looked around uh, at uh, acquisitions. Candidates and we ended up with two companies, Bechtel and Flextronics, uh, competing to, to buy Telcom Global Solutions, which is the name of our company. And in, uh, on August 31st, 2001, we uh, sold the company, closed the sale the of the company to Flextronics in an all stock deal with a 14 day lockup. Now, again, for those of us who can count, 11 days later was 911. Markets closed for six days. It was an all stock deal. Every market fell apart. So it's a a learning experience, right? Um, came out of it. Okay. It was, you know, market rebounded over time and I I stayed on as a senior owner out and I ran the, um, uh, I ran the network services division for Flextronics. Uh, what became after my two years there became a, an $800 million division with about 8,000 employees uh, around the world. Um, and that's when I decided to go back to college and get my PhD. At uh, Texas A&M, right? Yeah, I got yep. a PhD at Texas A&M in uh, 2003 and uh, finished up in 2007 and I made my way to uh, Tallahassee. Uh, Florida State it was the, the first uh, university that I um, landed a tenured faculty position in the management department is Florida State's first entrepreneurship dollar hire. Uh, and then seven years later, um, I got a call from Brett Smith at uh, Miami University about an, an opportunity at, in the farmer school with what was in the entrepreneurship program, today we're a department, and um, the rest is history. I'm, I moved up uh, uh, in 2014, Taught my first class. In fact, one of your previous, uh, participants on your podcast, Michael Marksbury was actually in the first class that I taught in the fall of uh, 2014. And it's been a real blessing and a real, real, um, venture, uh, uh, so to speak, over the last nine years. I've just had a lot of fun. Um, and I hopefully will have a chance to talk a little bit about our program in a minute. So that's oh, a little yeah. bit about my career.
0: Of course. And so a lot of Miami students or even uh, friends, you know, will go into consulting out of college. Any advice you have for um, students who are listening who are looking to get into consulting after graduation?
1: Yeah, I, I, I often I, I think students, once they see maybe on LinkedIn or something else that I spend time at, at a Accenture, um, those that are interested in consulting, I typically get three or four semesters that will knock on the door and ask to talk about it. I, I think uh, I have nothing but great things to say about my experience. Um, whether you go to a Bain or a McKinsey or Pricewaterhouse or Sandora, Sandona or others, um, a the, the, the post of learning is pretty significant. I mean, you get exposed to different companies, you get exposed to different industries, you get exposed to different problems, you get exposed to the same problem in different industries. I mean, it's just a tremendous opportunity. To um, understand the, the the mechanics around problem solving, that's what a, a consultant is hired to do. He's typically brought in to you know I've got a problem I need you to solve it. Frankly, it's very entrepreneurial or innovative uh, mindset that that we try to work into our students as well around problem solving. But I I encourage students to do that. I mean there's it, it can be stressful. I, I like to say you when your feet hit the floor in the morning you're on, and when they you you put them in the Underneath the covers, you're off, because at the yeah. end of the day, the client's buying what lies between your ears.
0: Can you touch on, so telecom global solutions, so can you just talk through how you were able to navigate that that merger successfully? So you mentioned the two-year kind of uh, period where you were making sure that it was successful. There may be founders who are kind of navigating a similar path. I'd love to get your thoughts.
1: Yeah, that, that, was, um, that was, it was tough. Uh, we went from a startup with a startup culture um, in a mindset of growth and scale to um, uh, uh, an acquisition where we were essentially merged into a $15 billion company. Electronics today is a $30 billion uh, outsource manufacturing firm, uh, one of the largest in the world. At the time, Michael, uh, Michael Marks was the chairman and CEO and really, really liked our outsourcing model uh, our long-term vision was to be able to acquire and do sale leaseback of uh, operator infrastructure, like at an AT&T or Vodafone or what have you, uh, and we were marching in that direction when the markets cooled. So uh, the cultural consolidation or cultural integration, to, to be quite honest, is is always a challenge, um, and and for me, it was my, my number one priority was to make sure my employees. We, had, we went from, you know, literally a business plan to 300 employees in 18 months. But the the the, the professionals that we brought into the uh, organization really bought into our vision, and they were passionate about that vision. And so, uh, when we made that decision to to sell the Flextronics, it didn't come without a lot of thoughtful uh, consideration for. The impact that would have not just on, or culpable on, on the individual. So, you know, part of my reasoning behind the two-year earnout. There are other reasons that were financial. I'm not going to, not going to dodge that one, but that was to ensure that we had a safe landing spot for the employees who had invested time in helping us originally build Telcom.
0: Yeah, and so you went from an entrepreneurship, um, starting your own company, to then, you know, education. And then you mix in there being involved in, as a venture investor, kind of investing more in the startup. So can you talk through how you navigated from, you know, one kind of field to, to the venture side and more of a advisory and investor role?
1: Wow, that's a great question. Um, and it you'll it, it, allow me, it'll, it kind of bleeds into uh, our philosophy, uh, educational philosophy or pedagogy uh, at Miami in the uh, entrepreneurship program. I think one of the things I didn't realize, when you know, I'd spent almost 20 years in the corporate world, um, I didn't realize um, how, uh, and I don't necessarily mean this as a, as a negative, although it's gonna sound that way, how archaic the traditional lecture model uh, that was you know, is frankly still in place today, um, had become given the pace of change um, that we were seeing in the, in the broader market, technological change, Political change, you know, so on and so forth. And so to expect an 18-year-old to to spend four years with his or her head in a textbook um, that has uh, was probably written seven or eight years earlier uh, is an impractical expectation. So, you know, for 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 me, getting into higher ed and now uh, finding my way to uh, Miami, a real refreshing. Uh, um, component of our experience at Miami is we, we really believe in the value of active learning. And uh, I like to say, we spend uh, we don't simply spend time teaching students about entrepreneurship, which is kind of the traditional model of use a textbook, give a lecture, give a midterm and, and a final exam and test their comprehension. We, we spend the majority of our time teaching students to do Entrepreneurship, and it's through that learn by doing application of knowledge that we see the retention of knowledge go up, and we see performance when they graduate in terms of placement, starting salaries, and for those who go on and start companies like a Michael Marksberry or Oliver Zach, uh, we see the, the likelihood of, of success, the traction, so to speak, in the uh, uh, in whatever market that they choose to launch a startup in. Um, much much greater the probability of success and and so for for me it was just a logic I, I didn't realize it coming in right I was fully prepared to go figure out what textbooks we need to use and and uh, frankly the the more time that I personally spent in it and then the transition to Miami seeing um, the impact of our our approach um, which I, I believe uh, and I, I've gone on record a number of different times that we had the best undergraduate entrepreneurship faculty in the world. Um, um, our, ma- our international rankings suggest that we're among the best. We've been ranked in the top 10 for 16 consecutive years, which is pretty remarkable considering that the Princeton Review has only stopped um, uh, entrepreneurship programs for 18 years. So 17 of those 18 years, there was a one-year hiatus many, many years ago, don't know why, but uh, for 16 consecutive years we've been ranked in the top uh top ten among publics. And this year uh we were ranked number nine globally overall. And uh it's quite a an accomplishment, frankly, uh for our, our faculty but but also for our, our alumni and our students as well. And I'm convinced and so our faculty are convinced as well that the um, the value of that learn by doing is represented in the rankings, but more importantly in the fact that our students are landing great jobs. Uh, they're launching their career and they're far more comfortable at being uncomfortable when they're faced with problems and challenges uh, on the job.
0: Yeah. And I know that, you know, with your current role as professor and chair within the entrepreneurship department, so you've a lot of students will come in to ask for advice. And this is a great platform to kind of share that on a worldwide message. So we'd like to get your viewpoint kind of from one one viewpoint and then from the next. So the first would be, if I was a freshman at Miami, what advice you would have for me if I wanted to learn more about entrepreneurship and kind of getting involved in the startup community? Any any thoughts like from very day one on how you would do it?
1: Yeah, that's, a, that's a, another great question. First of all, the, the, the way to do it is to give me a call. <laughs> if you're a, <laughs> you're a, a Miami student, um, uh, reach out, I'm easy to find. And, and we we, uh, we have we have an open door policy, uh, you know, for example, last year we had over 4,500 students take at least one entrepreneurship course, we had at least one um, uh, student from every undergraduate major, all five divisions across campus. So we're really an interdisciplinary program, even though we happen to be housed in the business school, uh, 60% of our students have primary majors outside. So give me a call. Uh, To those that are, you know, more broader, whether you're at Miami or not, you know, entrepreneurship is a skill, Uh, unlike the discipline of, fill in the blank, mechanical engineering or the discipline of um, uh, commercial finance or the commercial banking or the discipline of uh, professional accounting, um, entrepreneurship or the entrepreneurial mindset is a skill set. And so the best way to learn is by doing. You know, that uh, I always say, you know, I say, well, what books did I read? I'm like, I, if you come to my office, you'll see, in fact, you see in my home office here, Will, a, a bunch of books. But which one you ask, well, read them all because they all have opinions. But, but at the end of the day, uh, uh, it's about learning, it's about applying what you've learned to solve a real problem and over time getting comfortable, learning how to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And to me, that's the secret. And if you look at, I know you had Savo Knott, who's the founder of Pieces on your program. is a great example. He started with a, a startup that was targeting higher ed. And as I'd counseled him many years ago when he was a freshman or sophomore and selling into universities is really, really difficult, really difficult. And, um, I think he actually, uh, he and, and uh, Matt kind of drew that conclusion at some point, but it, it led them to where they are today and what I think is one of the most, uh, exciting, uh, deep tech Platforms uh, that I'm aware of. Period. Whether in Cincinnati, the U.S. or uh, the world. Um, but but he's a good example. He he saw a problem. He figured out a way to solve it. He didn't take no for an answer. He persisted. He recognized that probably if if, if he or if a Michael Marksberry or Nicole Mustard at Credit Karma were sitting here today, they'd say the same thing. Yeah, I had that feeling in the pit of my stomach, wondering. I don't know if this is going to work, but that didn't stop them. Um, so I, I would say to, to, to young students, young, uh, young adults, you're interested in entrepreneurship. There's no magic. There's no magic bullet. And frankly, you don't have to be Elon Musk. You don't have to figure out how to build a spaceship and go to, uh, go to Mars. If you look at, uh, companies like, well, take Uber, for example, Uber solved, uh, uh, Kalenek and his, um, Business partners solved two simple problems. They solved on the side of the consumer control and on the side of the vehicle owner capacity. And so, if we think about the, the simplicity of the problem, I mean, it's not like they figured out uh, they weren't the first to come up with an idea of we're going to put people in a car and take them from point A to point B. Taxis, uh, and for that matter, stage toasties and everything else, they've been around for, for years. But what they saw was a real need to provide the consumer, the writer, control over his or her experience. And that was a think change back a decade ago. And so for, for those of you who are, who are interested in that, I mean, there are lots of problems that are, it may look very simple in nature, but have a profound opportunity because the, the size of the addressable market is, is such that there's a, an opportunity to, to monetize and scale um, at a large level last thing I would say to those that are considering is just to do something. Um, our program at, at Miami, we've designed it, as I mentioned before, as a uh, to be uh, a learn by doing program. So we don't have any, there are no textbooks. There are no uh, midterms or exams in any of our classes. We have a co-maker, a minor, and three certificates. The way that we evaluate progress is we, everything is formed in a, in a team-based learning. So. Uh, students and in interdisciplinary teams go do things. So it could be starting a company as part of our uh, senior Capstone 401 class. It could be doing an, an innovation project inside of a big co uh, for uh, 461, our, our uh, corporate innovation course. Um, but we've also brought alongside a number of co-curricular programs. Um, we partner with Techstars, for example, and run Startup Weekend in the fall. Uh, a, same plug. November the third uh, was the weekend that we set aside for that uh, program. Uh, we run Social Innovation Weekend, which is one of my favorite programs in the spring. Uh, that program uh, is geared towards solving meaningful societal problems. So teams, students, that uh, have tackled problems like food insecurity, uh, homelessness, and affordable housing, and climate change. Um, and then we have several others. The 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 idea being. Solve a problem, as solve pro, as many problems as you can in as many ways as possible. It's kind of the, I use the analogy of South Song Goal: the best way to learn how to shoot a basketball isn't to read a book about how to shoot a basketball. It's to take the basketball, get on the court, stand 10 feet from the basket and shoot. And if you've ever thought a basketball before, the first four are going to clang off the rim, hit the backboard, but the fifth one's going to go in and you're going to say, oh, now I get it. And the same analogy holds true for young adults who are interested in starting companies you you're, you're going to nobody wants to fail nobody wants to miss a shot but you are it's just a, it's a fact of life um, there is never one right answer uh, there are all, always lots of good answers your job as an entrepreneur is find the best answer for you and that comes through testing um, that comes through evaluation that comes through doing your your validation in the market. So, you know, those are the three things I'd say. You know, just just get out and go do. Be willing to put yourself in an environment and be, be accepting of the fact that if you're going to be uncomfortable and that's okay. Understand that you won't have the 100% right answer and if you wait to get the 100% right answer, everyone's going to pass you. And uh, you're going to be left going, solving a problem that's already been solved.
0: Right. Yeah, that's great advice. And before I get to the last few points, so you mentioned... You know, Michael Marksbury, Oliver Zagat, who've all been past guests and from Miami alumni. What was different about maybe those individuals or their business models that you've seen as opposed to maybe other students who have come to you with ideas? Is it access to advisory boards or wanting to to ask questions, build that, that niche experience? Are there any similarities that you could kind of share for people?
1: Oh, well, wow. another really, really, really good question. And you picked, if you say, father. Uh, not into that group, and i 'll shamelessly acknowledge those three individuals, along with Salam Agbator, who helped co found um, uh, Mad rabbit okay. are among the the most talented um, young adults i've ever met Michael Marksbury is a I have a great deal of respect for him and what he and Ri Benna did in taking a technology that had been around for fifty years and just AeroGel, It's not like well, they just discovered aerogel. NASA had been using it inside of spacesuits and the Mars rover and and uh, the space shuttle for, for years. And they just figured out a way to first infuse that into foam and today infuse it into fabric and that into into fiber and that unique as simple as it sounds. They were the first to do it. And I think the thing that I've, I have a, a great deal of respect for for Michael about is one. He just, he just doesn't take note for an answer. He doesn't get upset. He doesn't get excited. Um, I think there's a, a an even kill. That's actually a, a consistency I see with Sabo and Oliver as well. think good things are going to happen. Bad things are going to happen. You got to see your way through it, thread the needle, so to speak. The second thing that I, um, I see in, in Michael is a willingness to be coachable. One of the, um, one of the, the, um, uh, Things I like to say, the the suggestions I make to to founders is surround yourself by people who are uh, who bring different skill sets, who are bring different experiences to be uh, members of your team, but also can be advisors. I'm a big fan of advisory boards. Um, They are you know a group of experienced uh, individuals, men or women, who bring either a technical talent, a market talent, experience, or a process talent having started a company before and, and understanding what the pitfalls look like. I'm a big fan of that. And Michael surrounded himself with some incredibly powerful individuals. Pat O'Brien, Miami alumni, uh uh XP and Gear, who was president of um, uh of um, Munster Worldwide, um Joe um Joe Flannery, who at the time was president of Marmot. Um, uh, uh, Colonel John Berger, who had previously run the Cyber um, uh, uh, command for the U.S., but had a lot of special ops experience. And as, as you know through your interview with Michael, one of the targets for OROS is the military. And he so, and brought me in uh, and, and a few others. And so he was willing to bring some advisors who were more experienced, Probably had more wisdom, if not more intellectual power, because they've just been around longer and was willing to to ask for input. It didn't mean that he acted on everything we did or excuse me, everything we suggested, but he listened. Um, Oliver and Salam, I love their story about uh, going through three crockpots before they found the right mix for um, uh, their, their mad rap, their tattoo sad. The first version of that they tell a great story of they're, they're a, a wonderful story of the importance of customer validation they were selling their product before they had their product and they were doing that with an eye towards is there really a market for consumers who have tattoos who want to extend the life of that tattoo and the answer is yes and they popped into that market but they had to validate that father is just his, his tenacity and perseverance is a, a great example. I mean, here's a guy who, who uh, along with Mac Myers, who landed their first institutional round, um, major round. They closed with Drive Capital out of Columbus, and and it took the Drive Capital partners driving down to Cincinnati and knocking on his door to close the deal. Um, that's how impressed they were with this young twenty-something uh, entrepreneur. And so if you don't, I say this all the time, you don't have to be Elon Musk. You do not have to build a spaceship and go to Mars or figure out how to put a, a battery in a car and make it go 400 miles. You can solve a, a a fundamental problem and do it in a, in a, in a, in a remarkable way. And I always tell founders solve a problem that people care about for a large enough addressable market that value your solution. Um, that you can monetize, scale, and protect. And if, if you go if you go that that route, I think you're pretty safe in pursuing um, making a, a pursuing a, a, an idea that's not just good but has the potential to be great.
0: Yeah. And the other aspect is the market. I mean, they've Oros, Mad Rabbit pieces. They've built brands that people just gravitate towards, and they want to be a part of the mission. And being able to be a good storyteller and to lead the company, there has been. Awesome to see from every time I see on LinkedIn or in the news that good things are happening with them, I get so happy. So the the last question I have was just from the viewpoint of a senior about to graduate. So we kind of touch on the consulting aspect. Would love to get maybe just end up with a little bit of private equity. So um more towards like the venture capital side. So those because it's going lot it's gotten a lot of popularity recently. From your viewpoint, um if some a senior is gonna say, Hey, I would really like to become a VC at some point down the road. You know, there's a couple paths to get there, but any any thoughts or advice that you kind of give them a day one kind of on their journey.
1: Well, I'll 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 start by saying if they wait until they're a senior to come in and say I'm um, interested in venture capital, it's probably probably too late. Um, and 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 I don't mean that necessarily in a negative way. You know, venture capital, the, the venture world uh, is dealing with private companies. So unlike investment banking, where you know you've got a, a investment analysts following. Procter & Gamble. P&G has 150 years of history, right? So I don't want to oversimplify because my investment uh, banker and friends will will uh, throw me under the bus. But, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to forecast future earnings for a company that's been around 100 years than it is a startup that's been around, well, 100 days. So uh, the big top of the world is, is, follows the same fundamental Financial metric principles, but they need to think about things in a little bit different mindset. So, uh, the, good, the example I love to use with, uh, particularly early C stage investing, most of the angel investors, for example, Queen City angels or the early C stage investors like a, like an Allos, um, you know, they're looking to to invest a dollar and expecting to get, to get $10 back. So this typically, a 7, 8, 9, 10X cash on cash return over time. They're not going to get it back tomorrow. They're going to have to wait five, six, seven years. So for, for students that are interested in that world, they have to be able to not only look at where the company is today, but they need to pre- be able to project five, six, seven years out where that company might be tomorrow. And so that's where the, the whole notion of comparable assessment. Where they need to go into and use tools like PitchBook to assess valuation today and five years down the road, um, they need to be very uh, cognizant and understanding of what term sheet, What does a term sheet mean? What does it mean to negotiate individual terms? Um, um, where do I trade off on valuation to get uh, you know pr- pr- preferential rights, participation rights, and things of that nature? So the the uh, what, I, what I would tell a, a student at Miami is uh, enroll in our Venture Capital Immersion Program and participate on one of our two student-managed funds, Red Hawk Ventures, which is our $500,000 seed stage student, uh, student-managed investment fund, or our Social Impact Fund, which is our $250,000 um, impact fund that targets social ventures. Um, both of those programs, both of those uh, uh, funds, uh, students that are in those funds, uh, participating in the funds use HIPbook for valuation. They go through the, the venture model, they go through uh, um, uh, deal flow management, they do due, deal, due diligence, they write up term suits, they uh, syndicate an investment. So everything that they would, in terms of the experience they would have in going to work for um, uh, Mike Venerable at Cincy Tech they get at Miami. And so getting that experience back to the learn by doing um, makes them much more marketable when they hit uh, hit the market. And we're seeing that now. That Now the, the market's cooled, as we know, um, but the traditional channels, the two traditional channels into venture were um, the Ivy Leagues, Stanford, and Booth in uh, investment banking. Um, but in the early, uh, mid-20s, teens, around 2014, 2015, 2016, there was a heavy, high demand for investment analysts that could not be filled. That's when we launched our venture capital immersion program, and we've been effective in placing students or graduates into the venture capital world as a result of that.
0: That is awesome. So, Tim, if people want to reach out, get in touch, whether it's Miami students or not, what would be the best way to, to t- touch base with you or your team?
1: Best way to reach me is um, via my uh, email address, Uh, it's H-O-L-C-O-M-T-R at MiamiOH.edu. We are located on the second floor on the west wing, as I like to say, of the Farmer School of Business. And uh, our door really is always open. We have most of our faculty are in that same area. Our doors are always open and students are always working in the hallways. So make your way and come visit us. We'd love to love to get to know you and get involved in the program one way or the other. And that goes for students and alumni.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Tim, thank you so much for taking the time to come onto the Road to the Top podcast, for sharing your journey and all the great advice for young professionals and college grads. We greatly appreciate you taking the time.
1: Thank you, Will. It's been, uh, been a real pleasure.